there was a story in Adweek magazine that came out just a couple days ago that says U.S. adults, and I have no reason to believe that Canadian adults would not be the same as American adults in this. U.S. adults spent 10 hours and 39 minutes a day consuming media over the first quarter of 2016. That is a number that is up at full hour from just the same point and the same time last year. In one year, we've gone up an hour of media consumption. So we are spending nearly, we're getting close to the point where we would be spending half of every day consuming media. This is, I think, this is a remarkable number and not necessarily in a good way. Dr. Douglas Gentile is a developmental psychologist who studied the effects of mass media on people. He's at Iowa State University. He joins me now. Doctor, thanks for doing this tonight. Well, it's my pleasure. And, and Hamilton, I just want to you know, congratulate you on nine Tony Awards. Yeah, <laughs> thank you very much. Yeah, we were the inspiration for that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I happen to know the answer to your, uh, your, your puzzle question there, but I can't... I won't say it since uh, you're still taking calls. Well, I, and I'm sure you know what I think a lot of uh, a lot of people do, especially a lot of guys. What I'm guessing, but the, you know that's just my personal opinion. Anyway, we'll uh, we'll get to that maybe a little bit later. Uh, this number, though, the ten hours and thirty nine minutes a day of people consuming media, and, and I mean that would be television, that would be computer screens, that would be your smartphone, that would be all kinds of different things. That is a staggering, staggering number if it's true. Yeah, it is. And, and the data, you know, I, I was not involved in this study, but the, the little I looked at the report, uh, it looked pretty strong. These are, these are data from Nielsen, uh, and so they tend to be not people self-report. They tend to be, you know, they actually have a program, you know, that is measuring how often, you know, with whether the television's on and whether someone's looking at it and, you know, how much you're actually on your phone, actually on your computer. And so these, these data seem pretty solid. And they follow a trend that we've been seeing for the past 15 years. And the, the, trend, uh, the trend basically goes like this. Every time they report how much time either children or adults are consuming media, we say, oh, it can't get any more. And then next year, it's more. Well, th- this means, I mean, realistically, that almost the entire time that we are awake, not quite yet the full time, but almost the entire time the average person is awake, in some way or another, they are consuming some kind of media, which, doctor, I assume means, I mean, it's impossible that we could be giving our full attention to this, but I'm assuming means we've got the computer screen on or the TV screen on or the smartphone on, and we are, with regularity, checking in on it. Yeah. Well, I think uh, one of the things that I, I don't know the details about this study are is how much of that is during work hours. So it, it could actually be for, you know, it's actually helping your life because it's something you're, you're on the computer because you need to be for your work. But clearly a lot of that is entertainment time. And if we think about the amount of entertainment time people have, there are 168 hours in the week. Uh, and then if we say... 40 hours of that is work, and if you sleep maybe seven hours uh, a night, it's 21 hours you know, off the top for, for that. And if we assume all personal care, eating and bathing and uh, dressing and you know, taking care of uh, you know, just the basics you need to, to live every day, maybe that's another three hours a day. So that's uh, uh, you know, another... 21 hours a week, uh, plus the, uh, basically it leaves about 50 hours a week 
left for anything else you might care about. That would be spending time with your family, spending time with your friends, reading, uh, doing any uh, you know, chores, uh, going to church, taking any lessons, playing a musical instrument, having any hobbies, all those things that kind of make life worth living have to fit into the remaining 50-some hours a week uh, when we're not either sleeping uh, at work or, you know, bathing. And if we've spent 50-some hours of that on television, there's really nothing left over for anything of value. It. I'm not an expert, obviously, on the idea of an addiction or whether this could be qualified or c- categorized as an addictive behavior, but on its face, it kind of sounds like it. Well, there, you know, there are a number of people who are suggesting that there can be technology addictions. Uh, I've actually studied this with reference to video games specifically. And uh, for a small percentage of pe- people, and I tend to study children, uh, and the, the number is about 8% of youth gamers, would actually classify as addicted. Now, addiction doesn't just mean you do something a lot. It means you do it in a way that really damages your life. A lot of people drink a lot, but they can still keep their work and family in balance. It's when they stop getting in balance and their drinking now is disrupting your work and your family. That's when it really becomes an addiction. Um, and so for most people, you know, consuming a lot of media, somehow they're doing that without it totally, uh, you know, tipping the balance and getting, you know, starting to harm their work relationships, their family, their uh, social uh, functioning, their uh, the school functioning. Uh, but probably for some people, maybe that is an issue. I think one of the bigger issues that uh, we've been seeing some hints of in the research is the thing you suggested that you've got the screen on kind of in the background. And so you're multitasking. And what effect does that have on the brain? And there's starting to be some studies showing that actually that may be one of the most damaging things, uh, even uh, because it seems to affect everyone, whereas addiction just seems to affect a small percentage of people. Why? What what would it be about multitasking? And, And are you talking, by the way, just as I get to that, are you talking... Uh, psychologically or physically, that it actually over time creates some physical changes to the brain? And answer that both. Does it do that? And then what are the problems with that? Yes, there aren't a lot of studies, you know, the brain scan studies yet, but uh, we... Uh, there are a couple that do seem to show that, yes, in fact, it does change, make, you know, physical changes in the brain. And if... uh, if I asked you, you know, do you do you multitask? Well, most adults would say yes. And if I asked them, do you think you need to to be effective in today's life, they would say yes. And then if I asked them, you know, are you better at accomplishing something when you're multitasking or when you're not? And then they start wondering, you know, what what is you know, maybe not. And I think that people's intuition is correct. The brain actually is not a multitasker. Our brain cannot pay attention to two things at once. Attention is like a little laser beam. It's a spotlight. It looks at this, and then it looks at that. It can't look at both at the same time. 
But when you're multitasking, what you're really doing is multi-switching. You're going back and forth. You're switching your attention between things. Every time you switch, you actually lose some time because it takes you know, uh, half a second to switch your attention, and then it takes another half second for you to kind of reorient yourself, and then it takes another second or two for you to kind of remember what you were doing as you, you know, and get, get back up to speed. And every time you switch, you're losing time, so you're actually being less effective but yet you feel effective, or at least you feel busy, because you're really, you're working your brain hard. And so you're jumping, 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 and that makes you feel like you're getting a lot done. But in fact, if you just sat there, turned it off, and focused on the one thing that you're doing, you would get done faster and better. Hmm. So what's happening over time is we're actually training ourselves to expect to be distracted so that when we want to sit and focus on one thing, it's really hard for us to. It is. I mean, I don't think there's anybody who would dispute the idea that we definitely nowadays, and I would think almost everybody who uses any kind of device, we do have a briefer attention span than people used to. Oh, yeah. Uh, The... the, uh uh, there was a study that came out, I think, from Microsoft a year or two ago that actually showed that the modern attention span is less than a goldfish's. It's now down to <laughs> like 12, 12 seconds is the maximum amount of time we can now look at something without wanting, without jumping to something else. And is that, is that a psychological, again, is that a psychological thing or is that something that has been rewired in our brains? Can we, in other words, could we undo that? If we really set out to try and fix that, is that possible to undo that damage? No, I think it definitely is, although those studies haven't been done. But if we think about, uh, say, the mindfulness movement, uh, that's one of the things that it should actually do. Because if you sit down, and you sh- I don't know if you've ever tried to do this, but you know, meditating on one hand is not very hard. It's a three-step process. Sit down, good, we can all do that. Uh, breathe, good, we can all do that. And number three, don't do anything else. <laughs> And all of a sudden, you become very aware of how hard it is to just pay attention to your breathing. And within just a couple seconds, usually, people are already off and thinking, racing, and forgotten to pay attention to their breath. But the more you practice that, you actually start getting better. And so I think of it as kind of it's weight training for your mind. Uh, it's trying to bring back that control that perhaps we used to have. So although I haven't seen any studies that directly look at this, say, multitasking and things like like mindfulness training, I, I believe that, yes, we could uh, undo any damage that we have done. There's also another part of this that I find very interesting, because if we are exposing ourselves to media for this amount of time every day, there are messages in that media that we may or may not be even realizing we're taking in. And I, I always think of commercials, about advertisers. Advertisers pay a lot of money to put commercials on TV and to repeat them and repeat them and repeat them. And there's got to be science that says this works, that this makes you, if you see a McDonald's commercial enough times, you decide you're going to want to buy a hamburger. It makes you, it, it makes you think that. So there is an impact on you when you have repeated messages. I've got to believe that that's not just for advertisers, though. If we are exposing ourselves all day long to messages that are coming in, it's got to be impacting how we think, how we react, how we feel, what we believe, all those kind of things. 
Yeah, and and because it is so pervasive, it's almost impossible for anyone to notice. It's kind of like you can't see your own culture from within it. You have to step outside your culture to be able to start understanding it. And because we kind of, you know, our culture is created by the media nowadays, uh, it's really hard to notice how we're influenced. But, but you're exactly right. Advertisers and businesses are not stupid. They don't spend billions of dollars for no reason, uh, you know, if they if it wasn't working, they would stop spending the money. So yes, of course it works, and 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 it's funny because we also know we want to be influenced by the media. Um, so if if I ask you, you know, why do you want to watch a violent movie, you'll tell me because you want to get excited. If I ask you why do you want to watch a, it's a sad movie, it's because you want to cry. We want to be influenced by the media. We know that they influence us. And yet we then turn around and pretend like we're not influenced. Um, and so it's a, it's a funny thing that we do. We, we know that they affect us. In fact, if, if a movie or a video game doesn't affect you, you call it boring. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Do you, do you believe in the general concept of garbage in, garbage out? Well, I think it's not quite as simple as that. I think that... There's, uh, for example, there's a lot of research that has been done since the 1960s showing uh, that this, this idea you, you said is exactly right, that there are very similar messages presented on the media, uh, you know, over and then they're repeated. And sometimes they're repeated by the same show or the same ad, but sometimes they're actually just repeated over and over uh, on different types of shows, such as the idea that violence is a solution to a problem. You know, that's a message that is repeated in, in hundreds of TV shows and movies. Um, and certainly we see things like, uh, you know, often whenever there's some horrible tragedy, now it gets linked to, you know, uh, terrorism or Islam or Muslims, even though in the U.S. almost every act of uh, domestic terrorism has been done by you know a white, generally Christian, not by Muslims, and yet, given that we've heard that so much, now we start assuming it, and it just becomes part of our worldview that uh, because crime is shown so much on television and the news. Uh, people who tend to watch more also tend to have a, a view of the world that is scarier. They think the world is a more dangerous place than it actually is. They overestimate how likely they would be to be a victim of crime. And then they do things to uh, more self-protective behaviors, uh, such as you know saying things like, well, we should carry a gun, uh, which ironically just increases people's odds of getting shot rather than actually making them much safer. And, and then there's the second part, and I, I'm going to just mention this, we don't have to go into it, but people generally, I would think, they look for media, if they're on all this time, they look for media that reflects their views as well. They want to be bolstered in what they believe. Very few people I find now want to be challenged by the media that they take in. They want someone to say, yeah, you're actually thinking correctly. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's the flip side, is that the media can cultivate a worldview, but of course, viewers are active, and they actively select certain types of things to watch, and that becomes kind of a self-perpetuating cycle. You're exactly right, that people will choose uh, uh, only certain types of newscasts so that they show them uh, you know, views that don't really challenge them. And what I find somewhat offensive in the United States is that we pretend 
that the media are all, uh, you know, to use Fox's old slogan, fair and balanced, instead of just admitting what, say, for example, the, you know, the United Kingdom papers are, you know, this is the conservative paper, this is the liberal paper, pick the one you like, but don't pretend that it doesn't have a slant, because, of course, any view is not unbiased. Every view is biased, but, you know, we pretend here in the United States that somehow that's not the case. So we just have a minute or two left here. Um, what's the end game? If we are now at 11 hours, roughly, that we are taking in media, whether it's good media, whether it's bad media, whether it's positive information or detrimental information, and we've gone up an hour within the past year, where is the end game? I mean, do we eventually reach a point where essentially we are plugged in from the moment we wake up to the moment we sleep and maybe beyond that? One of the questions that sometimes get asked in in uh, my studies is, you know, do you have the TV on 24 hours a day, uh, whether or not anyone's watching it? And it's always surprising how many families say yes. So I think that that is, to some extent, you know, the upper limit is every hour of every day that there's a screen on. And this can disrupt our sleep. This, and, of course, sleep is important for everything, for cognitive functioning and for physical health uh, and for decision-making. Uh, for obesity, uh, for school performance. And when we're spending that much time with the media, uh, we're really not, you know, doing the things that have historically been beneficial for the species to keep us healthy. I do have to ask one more thing about that. Um, If we are, I mean, we all have fallen asleep in front of the TV set. We've all fallen asleep with the radio and whatever else. Is there anything to that idea that when you're in that, almost sleeping mode, that that's seeping in more, that you're taking in stuff that you don't even know that you're taking in? Yeah, I don't know the answer to that. Um, I've heard it said that, yes, that's when the media would have its largest effect on you, because then you can't even put up any resistance to it. But I don't know of any good studies that have shown that conclusively. So I think it's, at best, an open question. It's a it's a fascinating topic. I'll be honest. It's, to me, it's a disturbing topic, and partially because... I'm probably almost as guilty as the average person with these numbers, with the smartphone on and the computer at work and TV and everything else. And I look at that and doctor, I go, man, I, I, I got to time myself one of these days. And if I'm really up to almost 11 hours of media every day, I got to do something about that. Well, I think you should time yourself, and I think you'd be really surprised uh, at how much it is, because, in fact, if what I found in my studies is when you ask people uh, to estimate how much time they spend, it doesn't matter, watching television, you know, one medium you know, a day, they underestimate by more than half. And when they actually track it, then they go, oh, my goodness, I had no idea it was that much. So I think it's a worthwhile exercise. I, I, will, I am going to try that. Now, just as I do that, does reading a book count as being, influ- or being impacted or being on the media, or is reading a book separate from that? Well, I think what we found in the research is, yes, of course, it, it is a medium and it can have effects. But there are a number of really powerful benefits to reading that don't come with other with screen media. Uh, and so even if there are some potential negative effects of reading, they seem to be grossly outweighed by the benefits. It is a great, great topic. Uh, you have a website. Uh, what, what's the website if people want to learn more about you or more about this? Sure, uh, Dr. Douglas Gentile, thank you so much for doing this. Really appreciate the time tonight. Oh, my pleasure. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us. 
until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.